Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. begin this season of Advent, this season of celebrating the birth of your son, this season of celebrating Emmanuel, God with us. Father, we begin this month of Sundays, we begin this season of Advent by turning our attention to you, by focusing on who you are, what you've done, by celebrating, standing beside one another, singing these great songs of our faith, these great songs of this season. So Father, we want to pay all of our attention to you. We ask that you, indeed, O come, O come, Emmanuel, that you would come to our lives this Christmas season, that you would come fresh to our hearts and our minds, that you would move in our hands and our feet, that you would teach us all this month long, teach us how to love better as you teach us how you have loved us. We ask this today in the name of Jesus, the one who came. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's great to see you this morning. Welcome to Faith Christian. Glad you're here with us. Glad you're tuned in. This is a, a big day. You noticed some, some different things happening out in the atrium as you came in. Uh, today's one of our big days for um, our middle school and high school students, specifically, as we are in a kind of a day-long uh, fundraiser for their summer trips. It's hard to believe we're already planning our summer stuff here on this first Sunday of December, but uh, uh, this morning there's a bake sale going on out there. There's a raffle for some of these craft items, including this beautiful ones that I have here that I'm going to do my best not to play a game of dominoes with, because i got a feeling these are all going to fall before we're done here today. Uh, but one of our crafters made these, and they're very specific to our sermon series that we're going to be in uh, this month, uh, talking about wrapping Christmas in how God wrapped Christmas in love, in peace, in hope, and in joy. And we'll talk about all those things this year as we go through it. Uh, but want to be sure you come back tonight at 5.30 for a dinner and for our annual Christmas craft workshop. A lot of crafting will be happening in here, outside, food. Um, again, all of this is a fundraiser for our middle school and high school student ministry, our faith student ministry, uh, to help them get on their way to their summer trips this summer. And uh, so we appreciate your support and your uh, participation. And those of you who have uh, prepared crafts and are be coming and, and working on these craft tables uh, in here later this afternoon, this evening, uh, we appreciate your extra effort as well. And Amy, thanks for organizing this all uh, once again for us. Uh, we're looking for a great time and hope that you'll be here again. Dinner starts at about 5.30. The crafting will begin about 6. And hope that you can be here tonight for that. want to let you know a couple of other things that are happening this month as we celebrate Christmas together. Uh, specifically, on Christmas Eve, we will have our annual Candlelight Christmas Eve service uh, this year. Uh, that will be 6 p.m. That service will happen at 6 p.m. Candlelight's a uh, wonderful time of singing, music, uh, sharing together to really bring in that last little moment of Christmas on Christmas Eve. Again, 6 p.m. Christmas Eve. And then want to let you know that on Sunday morning, December 25th, Christmas Day falls on a Sunday this year. We're trying something completely different, something we've never, well, we've had to do once upon a time. You'll know why in a minute. But we're going to have our service on that Sunday morning, on December, on Christmas Sunday, Christmas Day, let me get this right, Sunday, Christmas Day. That service is going to be online only. We've got some very special things we're, we're putting together on by video, and we want to share that with you on all of our online platforms on Christmas Day, uh, Sunday, oh my goodness, Christmas Day, which is, is a Sunday, you're with me now, you're smarter than I am, you got this figured out. We are online only that day, and we'll be back in person on January 1st as we ring in the new year together uh, here on Sunday morning. So you'll, just so you know what's going on as we continue to celebrate Christmas. Well, as I mentioned a minute ago, uh, this Christmas series that we're in, is, we're calling Wrapping Christmas. 
And the idea behind this Christmas series that Brian kicked off for me last Sunday, the idea behind this Christmas series, Wrapping Christmas, is that you can tell a lot about a gift giver by the way the gift is wrapped. For instance, <laughs> you go to my house here in a couple of weeks, you'll see some presents under the tree. If you see a present that is immaculately wrapped, I mean, the folds of the paper are creased just exactly straight. The, the patterns on the wrapping paper, they line up at all the seams. You can guarantee my wife wrapped that gift. It's got a bow, it's got the curly cues, the, she prides herself. Her goal is to wrap every Christmas present using only one piece of tape. And she thinks if she gets all the folds just right, she can do it. Now, if you go and look under our tree and you see a present that looks like it was wrapped by a three-year-old on a latte, you can guarantee that was me. Either that or it's, just, it's still in the bag from Kohl's. I'll just I'll chunk it under the thing, and that's the way I... You can tell a lot about the gift giver by the way a present is wrapped. Well, I believe that the way that the Christmas story is wrapped, the way that the gift of Christmas is wrapped, also tells us a lot about our God. Scripture says that God is the... that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. And I believe we can tell a lot about God, uh, uh, we can learn a lot about God, and a lot about the gift of Christmas by the way that Christmas was wrapped. Specifically, Christmas is wrapped in hope, Christmas is wrapped in peace, joy, and love. Because our God is a God of hope, a God of peace, a God of joy, and a God of love. And so last week, Brian began this series with a message called Wrapping Christmas in Anticipation. Wrapping Christmas in anticipation, looking at the, at the prophets, much like the song we just sang, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, there was a longing for Christmas to come, a longing for God to put on skin and move into the neighborhood, a longing for, for God to show up, for God to do something. And there's something about Christmas that reminds us of that. Christmas is a season of waiting, isn't it? I remember when I was a kid, it seemed like Christmas took forever to get here. You know, the lights went up, the decorations went up, Santa showed up at the mall, all the stuff started to change at school, but Christmas seemed to take so long to get here. As a matter of fact, when we were boys and playing baseball, some of you remember this, one of the greatest taunts you could yell at the opposing team's pitcher was, ha ha, you're slower than Christmas, right? You would taunt somebody because it takes so long for Christmas to get here. The reason it takes so long for Christmas to get here is because waiting, waiting is a part of Christmas. There's a word that gets thrown around every year around this time um, leading up to Christmas. The word is Advent. I used it just a minute ago. Do you know what Advent is? Advent, over the centuries, a number of Christian traditions emphasize Advent. It's the time leading up to Christmas. It's as much as Christmas Day itself. It's the season. It's, it's the days, the, the weeks building up to the celebration of Christmas Day. It's a time of waiting for Christmas. Advent is a period of time that begins a few weeks before Christmas, ends on Christmas Eve. It is a time of preparation for Christmas. It's a time of anticipation of Christmas. Show of hands, real, real quick, who here already has the Christmas tree up? If, if I go to your house right now, there's a Christmas tree in your living room, right? About, about two-thirds of it, yeah. Whether you know this or not, if your Christmas tree is already up, you are celebrating Advent. You are recognizing that this is more than just a day, that this is a season, this, this season of Advent. It's because of Advent. You don't just view Christmas as Christmas Day. You view it as a season, this whole season of Advent. You are sending a message 
When you put the lights on the house, when you put the tree in the living room, when you put the Santa hat on and go to work, you are sending a message that something important is about to happen. So let's get ready for it. Let's anticipate it. Let's wait intentionally for it to get here. And if you look for it, if you look for it, you can find the concept of Advent in so many of our Christmas songs. The one we just sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. The words say, we mourn in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Until. And then what do we do? What was the chorus of that song we just sang? Rejoice! Because when the Son of God shows up, when Emmanuel comes, we rejoice, rejoice, for God has come. Joy to the world. We sang that earlier today too. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. We get ready for Christmas. We get ready for God to put skin on. We get ready for God to move into the neighborhood. That's Advent. That's anticipation. That's waiting. That's the spirit of Advent. So let me ask you a question. How's Advent, Advent going for you this year? You're preparing the house. You found your ugly Christmas sweater. You're preparing the menu. You've got the parties and the concerts and all the programs lined up on the calendar. You're preparing your budget. At least I hope you're preparing your budget so you don't blow it too much. You're preparing for the giving of gifts. But are you preparing you? Are you prepared? Are you making room in the busyness of the season, in the hecticness that we will all live in, in the hurriedness of the world? Are you making room in your life for Jesus to come this Advent in a new way, in a fresh way. Waiting is a big part of Christmas. And it's a big part of the Christmas story. And that's good because if there is no waiting, there is no hope. That's what I want to talk about today. Because I believe that Christmas comes wrapped in hope. There's no such thing as hope if we're not anticipating if we're not waiting, much like we do in Advent. If I could somehow successfully wish all of the waiting out of my life, I would eliminate all of the hope from my life as well. And what is life without hope? That's pretty easy, isn't it? It's hopeless. Well, God wrote some people into the original Christmas narratives that we read about in the New Testament. And these people that we're going to talk about today, their only job in the story was to wait was to wait and so i want to read their stories familiarize ourselves with their stories and let's see if we can't draw on the the lives of these two people and let them teach us how to wait with a hopeful anticipation so we come to the to the story it's luke chapter two it's a it's a couple of days just a couple of days after jesus has been born As a matter of fact jesus was eight days old and Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the temple to be circumcised. This was a, a religious ritual that would happen, and that meant something, not just the event and the occasion, but the place where this happened. They took Jesus to the temple to be circumcised. The temple was a very, very big deal to the Jews because the temple was kind of where heaven and earth met. It was the crossroads, if you will. It was the intersection of heaven and earth. It's where the Jewish people believed that God lived that God did his work, that everything God was doing happened right there in this physical place on the planet where heaven and earth met. They called it the temple. The Old Testament often looks to Jerusalem, the city where the temple sat, looks to Jerusalem as if it is the capital of the world because the temple representing the presence of God was there in Jerusalem. That's the location, that's the spot on the planet where heaven and earth intersect. 
But for 400 years and eight days, for 400 years, God has been silent, even in the temple. Generations have come and gone and have not heard from God. But that's about to change. Because eight days before, a child had been born to a virgin in Bethlehem. We pick up the story in Luke chapter 2, down around verse 21. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So circumcision, dedication take place at the temple, but it's, it's kind of a very inconspicuous, the, the most inconspicuous way possible. So we have this peasant couple, Mary and Joseph, this poor, poor couple walking into the temple like many, many other couples did with their baby boy in their arms, like many, many other couples did with their baby boys, going to be to the temple to be circumcised like many other boys were, once again, the Lord is coming to the temple. And that's when we meet the first of these two people I want to teach about today that are going to teach us about waiting and about hope. The first person is named Simeon. Simeon is a waiter at the temple, not a food waiter, not going to bring you your olive garden. He's a waiter. He's waiting at the temple. And he was there, and the calling on his life was to wait. Here's his story, verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Now, when I read this phrase, eagerly waiting, it catches my eye. I'm not a good waiter. I'm not the most patient person. I don't like the line at the grocery store. I don't like to get stuck in, in, behind you at the red light. I'm a, kind of an impact. I don't wait. I don't know that I've ever waited eagerly for anything in my life. It almost sounds like Simeon was happy to be waiting. Like he wanted to wait. And the reason it sounds like that is because Simeon was happy to be waiting. He considered a good thing, a godly thing, to be waiting in the temple. I don't know that I've ever waited eagerly. eagerly. I've waited impatiently. I've waited sarcastically. I've waited frustratedly. I've waited ticked offenly. <laughs> but I don't know that I've ever waited eagerly in my life. Simeon's waiting is so different from the waiting that I do so often in my life. Do you catch the difference? The difference-making qualities about Simeon that made waiting different for him? Look at the verse again. He was righteous and devout. I think that's the difference between Simeon and me. I think Simeon had a righteous and devout view of time. He recognized his time was holy, to be treasured. He had a righteous and devout view of his life and the purpose of his life. He knew that God was under control. He knew that God was at work even when he couldn't see it happen. Even when he had to wait for God to do something. So he's waiting. That word devout means that Simeon was cautious, careful. It, it means that he was aware. He was watching to see what God was doing as he waited for God to do it. In other words, Simeon, Simeon had this sense of, of accountability 
about his time. He had a sense of accountability about his attitude of his heart, his, his mood as he was waiting. <laughs> and honestly, I often don't. I often just include that, that what I think and what my attitude is when I'm waiting, it's completely up to me. It's my prerogative. I can be whatever mood I want to be because i got to wait. It's up to me to determine my attitude when I'm waiting. But that's not God's point of view when it comes to my waiting. You see, Simeon helps me learn, helps me know that God cares about how I wait. That God cares why I wait. And that God cares what I choose to do when I wait. And I often fail to think about the reality that God can be glorified. That God can be honored by my waiting. And through the hope that I have when I am forced to wait. It's important that we point out that Simeon did not appoint himself to be a waiter at the temple. This was something that God told him to do. Look at verse 26. The Holy Spirit was upon him, Simeon, and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Simeon didn't go to the temple and just decide one day, I'm just going to camp out here at the temple, and I'm going to go, all right, God, I've decided that I am going to see the Messiah. I want them to see the Messiah, so I'm just going to park it right here. I'm just going to keep believing, but I'm going to sit right here until you finally show me the Messiah. So God, until you do something, I'm just going to sit here and wait. You know, there are some TV preachers who will try to tell you to operate and relate to God like that. Give God the ultimatum and make God try to force God's hand. But it was God in this moment. It was God who told Simeon what his role would be and how important his waiting would be. And when God spoke to Simeon, Simeon determined that it was a good use of his life for God to fulfill his promise. It's curious to me, just as I read into the text a little bit here, it's curious to me that the Bible doesn't tell us how long Simeon waited. How long do you think it was? Think six days? Six weeks? Six months? Six years? Six decades? We don't know. And I think that God did not put the amount of time that Simeon waited before he saw Jesus. I think it's very intentional that that's not included in Scripture. Because I think if God would have said in Scripture that Simeon waited 23 years for the Messiah to appear, that you and I, when we were waiting on God to do something, we're like, all right, God, my 23 years are up. I waited as long as Simeon. You're not going to do anything. I'm going to take it in my own hand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to push this issue up myself, God. I waited as long as Simeon. But no, no, the principle here is for your whole life, for as long as it takes, for whatever it is you are waiting for God to do, whatever it is that you think God wants or should be doing, then you trust him and you keep waiting for him, and you depend on his sense of timing and not your own. What's important is that you and I continue to wait, because if there's no waiting, there is no hope. And Christmas comes wrapped in hope. The second person in the story I want you to, to know about is this, this woman by the name of Anna. And Anna's story is a little bit similar to Simeon. She, too, is at the temple. Let me, well, just verse 36. Here's her story. Anna, a prophet was also there in the temple, and she was very old. Thanks, thanks, Luke. I'm sure she appreciates that, 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 that clarification. She was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, 
but stayed there day and night worshiping God with fasting and prayer. Now, we can't be sure. We don't know how old Anna was when she got married, or we don't know how old she was then when her husband died seven years later. In all likelihood, because of cultural context, we know how the world kind of worked back in the first century. In all likelihood, Anna married when she was very young. And she, so since she was still a pretty young lady when her husband passed away. And when that moment of trauma comes to her life, Anna asks herself, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? What am I going to do? And she concluded that the best thing that she could do with her life was to be where God was at work. Do you remember where that was? Where was the intersection between heaven and earth? The temple. So that's where she went. So Anna says, I'm going to hang out at the temple. Because if God is doing something in this world, it's going to be at the intersection of heaven and earth. It's going to be at the temple. And it's going to be at the place where God lives and where God dwells. So Anna didn't do this because, just because she was a religious person. Anna did this because she was thoughtful. She, was, she wanted to be wherever God was at work. She wanted to be a part of whatever God was going to do. She wanted to be a part of it. So she went to the place where God would do the work, the intersection of heaven and earth. She went to the temple. She wasn't homeless but she was houseless because she lived at the temple. And she dedicated her life to worshiping and to praying, and she did that a lot. She could have been very bitter. I mean, think about this for a minute. She lived in a world where a young widow could have been in real trouble. I wonder, was Anna a single mom who now had trouble providing for her child? What was, was Anna one of the many women who lost her home when her husband died? Anna could have been fearful about the future. She, she could have been angry with God for allowing her husband to die. Anna could have thrown herself at single men or thrown herself at married men out of desperation, thinking she had to do that in order to survive. She, she could have resorted to all other sorts of things just to survive. But instead, Anna entrusted herself to God and decided that she was going to live at God's house, the temple, just to see if, if God might speak, if God might move during her lifetime, she thought it was worth the risk, even though God had been silent for 400 years. Look what happened, verse 38. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child who everyone who had been waiting expectantly, waiting expectantly, there it is again, waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. This is 30 years before Jesus will begin his teaching ministry. He's just a little baby. He can't even talk yet. He, so, so Jesus hasn't revealed in his own words, he hasn't revealed that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior of the world. He hasn't begun teaching people, but Simeon knows that Jesus is the Savior. And Anna knows that Jesus is the Messiah. Mary and Joseph know that they have this very special child because of all the angelic messages and amazing things that have happened up to this point. And Anna is telling people, everybody who will listen to her, Anna is telling them that Jesus is the Savior. But is she telling everyone, everyone who had been waiting expectantly, everyone who was waiting with anticipation, waiting with hope that God was about to do something. You see, only people who wait in a righteous and devout way hear God speaking when God is up to something. You have to wait in the right way to see what God is up to and to hear what God is trying to do in your life 
and in the world. Well, that's our two people. I got two lessons for you today from these, these lives, the lives of these two waiters. The first, first lesson for you today is this. Don't waste your waiting. Don't waste your waiting. If you want to, you can choose to wait impatiently. You can, cho- you can wait resentfully. You can ra- wait sarcastically. Or you can devote yourself to waiting eagerly, expectantly. Even when God hasn't granted your requests. Even when God hasn't answered your prayer. Even when God hasn't opened the door that you think that God's supposed to open for you. Even when God hasn't allowed the relationship that you think he should allow. When God has not yet granted your request or delivered you from the difficulty that you're facing, you can complain, you can whine, you can shake your fist at God and tell God he's got it all wrong. You can try to step out ahead of God and force the issue yourself, try to force God's hand, or or you can trust that God knows when to break the silence. That God knows when it's time to turn the page and when to move in your life and when to move in the world. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that if we hope, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. God is telling us how he wants us to view waiting and how he wants us to do waiting. Here's the second lesson. Don't confuse hope with optimism. Don't confuse optimism with hope. Have you ever heard someone say to you, and and they mean well, but they said, oh, don't, don't worry, it will all work out. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news because it's Christmas time, right? And the gospel is good news, but, but the reality is, and I think this is consistent with everything that Jesus taught. Things don't always work out, do they? Circumstances don't always work out. Sometimes the illness results in death. Sometimes the financial scare results in long-term financial loss. Sometimes the relationship that is on the brink evaporates, and it's beyond the point of reconciliation. Sometimes the good thing that we would like to happen or we think should happen doesn't happen. And that puts us in the mode of waiting. I believe that in life things do not always work out. But I believe that in life God always works. And those are two completely different things. I hope you can hear the difference. It's different to believe that everything will work out favorably and to believe that God will work out everything for your good. One is a perspective of faith and trust. The other is just simply optimism. Sometimes it's unrealistic optimism. God works things out for good, but things don't always work out themselves. So you need to know that God hasn't said that every circumstance in our life is going to work out favorably as we see it. But don't put your hope just in hope. Put your hope in God because God is bigger than hope. Your best hope is not that all your wishes are going to be granted. Your best hope is that God is going to shape your life and lead your life 
so that the favorable and unfavorable parts of life are all a part of God's plan. And God is working in and through all of those moments. Hebrews 4 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. God wants us to know that he is our hope. Hoping that circumstances will be favorable, that eventually is going to let you down. That will quickly let you down. But we can always turn to God, and He is always there to strengthen us and to help us and to give us a hope that is beyond our challenge. I got one more thought. Do you remember where all this took place? The temple, right? The, the, the intersection of, of heaven and earth, where heaven and earth met. Where did Simeon live? The temple. The intersection of heaven and earth. Where, where did Anna live? The, the temple. The, the intersection of heaven and earth at the temple. When, when the Old Testament era ended, when, when there was this 400 years of silence before Jesus came, and then Jesus shows up, when that, when that moment in history happens, the temple was no longer the intersection of heaven and earth. The temple was no longer the spot where God did his work. It was no longer the, 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 the meeting place of God and humans. It was no longer the temple. Where is that intersection now? Where is the temple now? If I want to be like Anna, or I want to be like Simeon, and I want to be in the place where God is at work, where God is doing something, I want to be in that place, where do I need to be? Where is it that God is at work on the planet today? In the Old Testament, it was the temple, the intersection of heaven and earth. Where is the intersection of heaven and earth tonight? Here's what God says. God says, you ready? That you, <laughs> yeah, you, that you are the intersection between heaven and earth. That when you believe in Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit God living in us comes into our lives that we have become the temple of God. So don't miss this. God is saying, all the things that I used to do in that location, in the temple, in Jerusalem, all the things I used to do there, I am now looking at your life. And I want that to be the context. I want that to be the place on the planet. I want that to be the environment where I do my greatest work. God says, your life, you, that's where I want to speak. That's where I want to lead. That's where I want to, to, to serve my neighbor. That's where I want to love my community. That's where I want to transform the world is through you, the intersection of heaven and earth. I want every one of us to recognize today that our hope is that God lives not just around us, not just near us, but in us and through us. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. What's that word Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us. And what a great hope that is. Let me pray for you. If our community team will go ahead and take their place, let's get ready to serve. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in who you are and what you've done. Thank you for the hope that is delivered to us in the Christmas story, that you are with us, that you put on skin, that you came to this place, and that now you dwell in us through your Holy Spirit taking up residence in us, God in us, God with us. 
that you live in us and now our lives are your temples our careers our families our homes our neighborhoods are where you are doing your work and you want to do it through us so again god teach us to share that hope with the world around us by the way we speak by the way we serve by the way we lead by the way we live would we be the place where you're doing your greatest work in this community in this county would you do that through us we pray this today in the name of the one who gives us hope